Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Simone Riscala, and you are listening to the Endowed Podcast, a conversation not just about the feminine genius in general, but about cultivating your particular feminine genius through the Catholic intellectual tradition and intentional community. Hello, Endow ladies, Simone here, and I'm with a dear friend of mine, Joshua Stansell, who I have invited on this podcast and YouTube channel to celebrate St. Maximilian Kolbe's feast day and August as the month of friendship. But real briefly, uh, Joshua is the president of Deep River Media, and uh, are you the founder of Dismas Ministry? No, no, I'm just on the board. I'm just on, on the, the board. board, okay. And he's a writer. And he's a really cool guy. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that. <laughs> and he just, he's an introvert too. I'm going to put that out there, right? He's an introvert. So I'm very, very grateful to him for, for joining us here at Endow for this interview. Because as I mentioned, it's August, the month of friendship. And we both have a love and friendship with St. Maximilian Colby, whose feast day is on August 14th. So Joshua, the, my first encounter with you is actually, and there's a very interesting fact about this man. I met him when I was at the New York encounter and he was still in prison at the time. Wow. Okay. So a little bit of a shock, but there's a very good, very good ending to this story, which we're going to hear about today. But I watched a video, Joshua, that you were in, that you had agreed to do. And you said you were, you were in prison at the time. And you said that for those of us who are watching this, who weren't in prison, that even though we were technically free, that you being a Christian, you know, was more free than probably a lot of us who were not in prison by the very simple fact that you understood that you belonged to Jesus. So I probably butchering what you actually said and paraphrasing you terribly, but that was my big takeaway. And I was really provoked, provoked by that. And so I wanted to invite you to tell your story here to our uh, endowed women and our men, our faithful, faithful few men who listen to this and, and hear, your, hear your story and your words of wisdom. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I am, as you said, a bit of an introvert. Um, <laughs> I worked a long, long time ago in radio, which was a great job for me, kind of alone in a room in front of a microphone. You can kind of be whatever character you want to be. I'm always a little uncomfortable in front of a camera, but uh, <laughs> I, I certainly appreciate the opportunity and I'm very flattered by the invitation. The, the video you mentioned, it only happened because I thought it would never happen, which sounds odd, but... Um, I'll, I'll explain more about how I, how I met these friends in prison, but it was uh, an interview that had been recorded by um, an Italian man named Marco Bardazzi, who at the time was a journalist for ANSA, which is the, an Italian news agency. It's kind of the Italian equivalent of the Associated Press. And he was putting together a, uh, an event or an exhibit for the Remini meeting. And for anyone, uh, for those who don't know what that is, it's the largest week-long cultural festival in Europe, and it takes place in Rimini, Italy. And uh, they have speakers and exhibits and music, and, and uh, it's, you know, it's amazing. So he was putting together some sort of exhibit about inmates around the world and, uh, you know, how they maintain their faith and what is their experience. And he said, would you, um, would you mind if I called the prison and um, to see if they would allow me to come in and do this interview with you? Well, I immediately said yes, because I thought there's no way the prison is going to approve this. You know? <laughs> <clears throat> so, sure, go ahead. Not a problem. And uh, I completely forgot about it. So I don't know, it was like a month or so later. It was the middle of July. And uh, I'd been working a job. I was mowing grass there 
on the prison grounds. And um, I get this call to go to the assistant superintendent's office. And immediately I'm thinking, what, what do they think I've done? Oh, you know, you know, I'm just, it's like being called to the principal's office. Yeah, what, exactly. You know? Now what? Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a dork. I don't do anything wrong. What what do they think I've done? You know, and um, so I'm Just a nervous wreck. On. Just yeah. on. Yeah. So I'm a nervous wreck the entire way going down to his office. I walk in. He says, "Have a seat," <clears throat> and he picks up this piece of paper. And I'm waiting to hear what I'm being accused of. You know, and uh, he picks up this piece of paper and he says, "Do you know uh, Marco Bardazzi?" And uh, I said, uh, Marco Bardazzi, yes. And uh, he said, he wants to do an interview with you. Are you okay with that? I said, you would, you would allow it? He said, well, sure, if, if it's okay with you. I'm like, <clears throat> this is not going the way I thought it was going to go. I thought, yeah. you know, but um, the interview went, went pretty well, I guess. And the, exe- the exhibit turned out well, from what I hear. I wasn't able yeah, to go, obviously. It moved me. It was definitely, was very, um, very provocative for me. Yeah. But how I how I met Marco and uh, these other folks, uh, they were members of a, a of a Catholic movement called Communion and Liberation, and I'd been locked up about six years and had an eighteen year sentence. And at first, as odd as it may sound, I wasn't I I was handling it really well because I thought for a number of reasons that my that the law that I had broken was going to be changed and my sentence would be modified, reduced, and I would and I would go home. About year six, I realized that's just not the case. And I'm, I'm going to be doing 18 years day for day. Yeah. And making matters worse, I'm in North Carolina, and the North Carolina prison system uh, moves you around every few years because they're worried about relationships developing between inmates and, and staff. So I, I got moved to a really horrendous uh, place. And even though I didn't have any, any problems there personally, it was just chaos uh, all the time around me, you know. And I just started to crumble. To be honest, I became suicidal. The only thing that was really keeping me going was um, I had a subscription to Magnificat, which I'm sure many of your your members and viewers are familiar with, great publication. And they had been sending it to me for free for a couple of years. It, you know, it was very kind of them. And for those of you who, who don't have the publication, uh, they have every day the mass readings for every day, morning and evening prayer, and they'll have a meditation of the day um, by a saint or someone, uh, a prominent figure in the church. And every month there was always um, some sort of excerpt from this Italian priest, Monsignor Luigi Giussani. I'd never heard of him before, and the little bio down at the bottom of the screen, the screen, the bottom of the page, just said that he's the an Italian priest and he's the founder of the the lay ecclesial movement, communion and liberation. Well, I didn't care about any kind of movement. I, you know, it was not a group. Who movement. even knows what that means? A lay ecclesial movement. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> and, um, I started writing different prison ministries and different, different groups asking, does this guy, ha- you know, who is this guy? Does he have uh, books in English? And what you discover when you're in prison and you write people outside of prison is they frequently do not write back because they, they just think it's a scam or you're, yeah. you're going to be asking Hopefully for money or sincere. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I had kind of forgotten about that. So I was sent to this really terrible place and I had become suicidal, um, to the point where I was actually, uh, this is going to get maybe a little, a little dark. Uh, I apologize in advance, but some prisons in North Carolina are, are sort of maximum security. You have your own cell. It's very controlled and self-harm becomes a, uh, a difficult thing to, to, to pull off. Right. 
Um, but I was in a medium custody facility, which was much less restricted. Everything was very open. The, the dorm rooms, the bunks, everything's open. The bathrooms are open. And it becomes much more difficult to, to get away with anything. Right. Um, so I started taking notice of which guards would sleep during their shifts because they're supposed to make rounds throughout the dorms. And so I was making little notes and just deciding when, you know, when could I do this? And then I was going through my locker, I was going through some belongings and I found this, it was a 30 day preparation to, um, to make a consecration to Mary, according to the method of St. Maximian Colby, who was my confirmation saint. Now, cause I'm a convert and I'll, I can talk more about that later, but I thought, you know, I've got a month until the feast of the assumption. This was mid July. And I thought, you know, okay, I'm going to do this. This is my one last ditch effort to just, you know, I'm clinging to, to something, you know? So I did this preparation and on August 15th, I made this act of consecration. There was no, um, there was no emotion. There were no tears. There was nothing cathartic about this at all. This was just this kind of a last. intellectual ascent. Exactly. You were, you were in it. You had had your conversion to the Catholic church years before, before prison, correct? Right. Correct. Yeah. Your, your confirmation date was St. Maximilian Colby. Okay. Right. Then you enter. I mean, I think this is incredible. You enter prison, you are suicidal. And and this is not an emotional thing. This is an intellectual, if this God exactly. thing is real, and this yeah. is a proposal being made for me, I'm going to do this consecration. Because I got nothing left. Because I got nothing you left. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I've got 12 and, more years of this to go. And, you know, my tank is empty. I got nothing, you know. Side note, I have donated many a Magnificat of mine to prisons over the years. <laughs> <laughs> All the deaf women who have done the same thing. It, I think it mattered. It, 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 it definitely mattered. It, mattered. it definitely yeah. mattered. Yeah, so, absolutely. Anyway, side um, No need to humble Brad there. Back to no, the no, that's, no, that's fantastic. <laughs> it, yeah, it definitely matters. So I did it. August 15th came and went. And there was nothing immediate. You know, well, about uh, a week, two weeks later, um, I got a, a letter from Paulist Prison Ministries out of D.C. I had completely forgotten that I had written to them, I guess, six months earlier or something. And they wrote back a very short letter and they said, we don't know who this Monsignor Giussani is or we don't know anything about this movement. But uh, we went online for you and we, we found three contact email addresses for you uh, of people in the movement and, you know, have at it. Well, that was very, very kind of them. The problem is in prison, you don't have access to the internet. <laughs> so, you know, we're not sending email to people. So what I did was I, there were three names, it was John McCarthy, Barry Stolman, and Rick Kushner. And I just randomly, eeny, meeny, miny, mowed it, picked Rick Kushner. <laughs> and um, I wrote a letter, sent it to my, a very brief, basically, I'm an inmate in this prison. Uh, how do I order any books? Are there any books in English? And sent it to my mother who is not Catholic and uh, said, would you, could, could you email this for me? And I did that and forgot about it because I love my mother to death. Obviously she's my mother, but um, <laughs> you can ask her to do something. And she, in that moment will be incredibly enthusiastic. Yes, yes, yes. And then she will, she'll just simply forget about it because you know, life happens. Right. And, uh, but she did send the email. Uh, it took her, a month or so, but I've always found it very significant the date on which she, uh, she sent the email. It would not have been significant for her because she's not Catholic, but she sent the email on October 7th. Oh, um, wow. Our Lady of the Rosary. 
Exactly. So I just made this act of consecration, and then I find out later that this email was sent on, on the Battle of Lepanto. Actually, exactly, it was really a victory based on the Battle of Lepanto. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Um, that's awesome. So, that's great. That, I, every Catholic nerd bone in my body is like, yes, <laughs> Lepanto. Anyway, keep well, I, just to, to <laughs> jump ahead just a little bit in terms of the dates, it was. I've always found it significant that after that, very significant things in my prison journey happened on days associated with, with Mary. So the last prison I was sent to, I was sent to on May 13th, Feast of Our Lady of Fatima. Wow. My release date, and this was the, the big one for me, my release date, which actually had been determined in 1996 at my arrest, basically, was August 22nd, which is a feast of the queenship the of, queen Mary. of Mary. Amazing. And... Um, yeah, so that, that sort of thing. I suppose you can say it's a coincidence. Mary's looking out for you. It's not a coincidence. I know that's. I'm, <laughs> it's providence. That's all. we call it. God winks in my friend circles, but I mean, God winks. Yeah. God winks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> we're dorks too, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, it's true. Yeah. It's true. That is amazing. And you just wanted some some books because you like some the books. meditations. Okay. And this. Yeah. Get you off the suicide track is so you, in the sense you got distracted by it or how did that? Yeah, the, the thing about Jasani, and I recommend, um, uh, and I'm not here to, to sell a movement to, to anyone, yeah. but Jasani himself, I think is a saint, and, and my hope is that one day he'll be declared a doctor of the church. He was just really brilliant, and the thing that I found so appealing to him, and the thing that was so helpful was that he never in any and particularly helpful to me as an inmate, someone who had broken the law. You know, he never downplayed the seriousness of sin, but he never stopped at that. He was always adamant about there's something greater than that, you know, yeah. and um, that that's ultimately what, what saves us. And I was in a very moralistic mindset uh, when I got to prison uh, in part because of how I had initially converted many years prior to prison. And maybe this is a good point to, to mention that. It was my second year of college. I was at West Carolina University, which is in the mountains of North Carolina. And my roommate that year uh, was moving in day. Uh, and it was a guy named Richard. And he was a very skinny, red-haired, freckle-faced <laughs> guy with uh, with a terrible stutter. I mean, he would really just kind of lock up, you know. And But he was very affable. Uh, just a great guy. He was from the mountains himself, and he had this really, if you think I've got a southern accent, the, he, you know, really did. Really, really <laughs> thick. And so we're all sort of unpacking in silence, and I'm, he's got a, <laughs> you know, I've got a suitcase. He comes in with a big army duffel bag, and uh, he's, he's pulling stuff out. And at one point, he pulls out a framed 8 by 10 glossy of John Wayne from the wow. movie The Green Berets. Committed. Yeah, it puts it on his desk, you know. And so at a certain point, he kind of whirls around and he sticks out his hand and uh, I shake it. And, you know, he talked like that, man. Hey, how you doing? My name's Richard. I just want you to know, you know, it's a pleasure to meet you. I said, well, thanks. And um, so he, he said, um, I just want you to know what's mine is yours. Uh, he said, except for two things. <laughs> I was going to say, except what? what is yeah, he, he said, except for two things. One. Don't touch my deodorant. Is he current? That's funny. Yeah. That's really funny. Uh, and 
Two, don't touch my John Wayne picture. <laughs> but everything else is yours for the for the crowd. Exactly, yeah. So <laughs> I don't. I never understood that. But uh, you know, I I thanked him, told him I was touched. Um, but he was he was great. Uh, he was very 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 conservative, and uh, and for the most part I was too. But he was uh, far more conservative than I was. And this was the fall of 1990, which. Uh, if you remember, was uh, there was Operation Desert Shield going on, which eventually in early '91 became Operation Desert Storm, and there were lots of rumors that that and concerns that there would be a draft imposed. And he and I, of course, are that age, and so we uh, lots of stuff on the news. We would stay awake at night, late at night, debating sort of the issues of the day, and um, whatever position he took, I would just take the opposite to kind of poke at him a little bit. You know, I had stopped being a believer. I stopped being a Christian in high school. And, um, but because I'd grown up in the South, I'd kind of absorbed uh, this uh, sort of an anti-Catholic sentiment by osmosis. And um, so whenever he would lay in, because he was a diehard fundamentalist Protestant, and so he would trash the Catholic Church. And I didn't really have anything to say, any kind of comeback. Yeah. Uh, so I started going to the, we had a fantastic university library. So I started going to the library and researching the Catholic Church's history and teachings and whatnot. I, initially, just so I would have a response to him, but it seemed after a few argued, months, was, you argued your way into the church. It was kind of a response to me, you know, and um, so it all kind of came to a head one night. We had gone into Asheville, North Carolina, to see Dances with Wolves, which was the big film. I remember when that came out? Yep. And the film let out about eleven thirty that night. It was a Friday night, and uh, he was driving, and he said, "Hey, man." Before we go back to campus, I want to show you this Catholic church downtown. <laughs> I said, uh, you want to show me a Catholic church? I, I thought you I thought you hate the Catholic church. He said, oh, they're all pagans. They're all going to hell. But they know how to build a humdinger of a church, you know. And, uh, <laughs> so, I like so, the guy. Yeah, <laughs> he was great. And uh, so the Basilica of St. Lawrence is a, um, is a very, very old church built like turn of the century. Um, wow. Uh, downtown Asheville. And so we pull up and he starts to get out of the car. I said, where are you going? He said, inside. I said, it's open. And it, even though I'd been studying, I really wasn't aware yet of perpetual Eucharistic adoration, which was going on. Right. So wow. we, he said, yeah, it's open all the time. So we went in there and it was like something out of a movie, you know, it was flickering candles and uh, they had this huge life-size uh, corpus above the altar. And we were kind of struck silent by it. And then out of the shadows comes this priest on a cassock who comes over and shakes our hands very vigorously and tells us we need to come back during the day. It's on the list of national registry of national historic sites, stained glass, et cetera, et cetera. And I was so struck by the way he said, God bless you, because we can just say that like we're saying, you know, hi, how you doing? And it doesn't mean anything. But for this priest, it just really seemed like he was, you know, he was very serious. And then he, he disappeared into the shadows again. And Richard and I didn't say a word the entire 45-minute ride back to the dorm. It was wow. just a, a very impactful moment. Um, Richard, sad to say, uh, flunked out after that semester. And oh. so that January, I went back to the Basilica of St. Lawrence and met with Father Carl to to start taking instruction, which is what I did. Oh, wow. Um, but my, my Catholicism, Catholicism had been, in some sense, sort of Protestant. In fact... Father Carl had asked me during our first meeting, he said, is your girlfriend Catholic? I said, no. He said, uh, anyone in your family Catholic? I said, no. 
Um, he said, why are you doing this? <laughs> and um, yeah. I said, you don't want me to convert? He said, no, no, it's great. Come on. Him. I mean, come on. Come on, yeah. Father. <laughs> he, uh, well, he said, he said, most people do this because of someone else. Yeah. And I, I think he's right. And I, what I discovered later uh, after I got to prison was that uh, one reason I eventually sort of fell away in terms of practice, I never fell away in terms of intellectual ascent. Right. Um, I, I didn't, I, I, I didn't know a single other Catholic. I did everything alone, went to mass alone, read the Bible alone. It's so it's so impressive. I mean, it's really impressive. It was a true conversion in that sense. And in, in that sense, but the odd thing was I had everything the church had to offer except the church basically. Yeah. And you know, you always need someone to kind of redirect your gaze or you can just yeah. start going down, which is what I did. I just kind of went down a, yeah, we're meant to live life in community. Community. Is yeah. Small. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the one minute before my arrest, I could have explained perfectly the doctrine of the assumption to you, um, papal infallibility. Like I never lost the the intellectual ascent, but yeah, it, it had no impact on my life really. That that came much much later. Yeah. Um, that actually came in prison. But anyway, my all all that to say that my experience of Catholicism before prison had been very moralistic. I sort of absorbed sort of the Southern fundamentalist atmosphere, which is I had to make it okay for God to love me. Yeah. And you do that by not drinking, not smoking, not dancing, not <laughs> whatever, you know. Right, right. And I, had, I was kind of stuck in that mindset. So when I met these friends in prison um, in the movement of communion and liberation, that was really the first education that I, that I had was that they were my friends, not because of, something I did for them or something that I abstained from doing. Right. That, um, that there's something that, that transcends all that. Well, yeah. and that's, I mean, so that in terms of your story, so you, you emailed your, your, you, your mom emailed them for you and then right. they came to, 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 they didn't just send you books. They came to see right. you. Yeah, and so Rick had passed my letter on to the email on to um, uh, an Italian woman who was living in, in Maryland, uh, Elisabetta Serratoni, who was the head of the uh, CL office, Community and Liberation, they just call it CL. And so she sent books, but then she wrote me a letter and she said, uh, hey, me and a friend are going to be passing through North Carolina in December. Can we come visit you? And my you know, first instinct was, no. No, <laughs> no. Why do you want to do that? <laughs> I, I, I just want to order a book. I don't want, I don't want entanglements. I don't want. I don't need no do-gooding Christian ladies to come. Visit. That's exactly what I thought it was. I thought, okay, we got some, some hyper-intensive. Like never listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't need my help. I'm going to help you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And but the problem is, I'm from the <laughs> from the south, and we're very polite, so we just can't say no. Right. And so I'm like, okay, sure, fine. And Good Southern manners, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she and a uh, German professor—he's uh, not a professor of German; he's a German professor of, um, of uh, philosophy at Catholic University. I got him to be as Hoffman. They came down to visit me, and we had a December 29th, 2002. We had a wonderful visit. It started off a little with a little disconcerting moment. I didn't know what they looked like. They didn't know what I looked like. So I walk in. I sign in at the little desk. I'm looking around. The visitation was held in our cafeteria. And the table right in front of me, that's where they were. And I noticed these two people looking at me very intently. And they just went like through process of elimination. We realized, 
so awkward. I just wanted bugs. <laughs> exactly. So then they realize, uh, so Tobias says in his German accent, Joshua. And I said, yes. And so Elisabetta comes bounding around the table. She grabs me by the arms and she gives me that, you know, smooch, smooch, Italian. kiss on each cheek, Italian greeting, which, just which frankly, Southern guy. like what's going well, and, on? And you don't really get that in prison very often. And so, <laughs> so <laughs> it, it threw me a little bit, um, but we had a, um, we had a, a really great visit and they left and I thought, well, that was nice. Never see him again. You know, I just thought they were a couple of really hardcore Catholics doing their uh, corporate work of mercy on some sort right. of tour of Southern prison. Right. You know. Visit the prison. Yeah, exactly. But then uh, a month later, a couple of other people <clears throat> from the, the D.C. area came down to visit. And keep in mind, this is seven hours one way for them to right. come down. Right, right. And, yeah, you know, to spend an hour and a half with me in a prison visitation room. And every month, different people would come. And then eventually, every weekend, people were coming from D.C. and New York to visit. Just amazing. Just it amazing. is. Really and I, I couldn't figure out what they wanted. I was very, you know, in, in prison, it just makes you paranoid. You think everyone's after something. Yeah. And so I, I don't have it. They, they got to know I don't have money. Um, they want my firstborn male child. What, what's the deal here? What's the, what's Your the angle? The priesthood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it wasn't just like, it wasn't just a visit, like checking off the charity box. Right. Because they were like getting involved in your life and like yeah, caring yeah. about you specifically. And I think, am I correct? In no, that? absolutely. That was, that's, that was the, at first, the most disconcerting thing about it because my life until that point, um, even before prison had been, um, I was in some sense kind of solitary. I would date, but not seriously. If, if it got serious, you know, I, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. So You're suddenly, you know, John, John, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So, what are all these people showing up? Who yeah, people, amazing. And well, I what, liked them. And yeah, what, and I, And what a stark difference between kind of the moralistic, like Christian, like I need to not do the wrong things or make sure to do the right things to earn God's love. Whereas in this situation, you're completely being loved by God through these people. It's hundred percent gratuitous. You're literally in prison, so there's nothing that you can do for them. Yeah. Here you are being loved. I mean, that's, and you like them. (laughs) Yeah. And I felt more myself. Like I I thought, okay, I'm, I think this is what it means to live. I'm in a prison. Is it, do you live in a, I mean, really, can you live? Can you live in a, yeah. In in a prison, you know? And so I finally met Rick and uh, his wife, uh, Chiara, a woman from Southern Italy and uh, met their kids. Well, it turns out that uh, Chiara was, was pregnant again. And uh, they came to visit me. It was December of 2003. And she was very, very pregnant. Uh, she was due any day now. And um, they knew already it was going to be a girl. And they absolutely stunned me by asking me if I would be the godfather of this daughter they were about to have. And I, you know, what do you say to that? I, so I, I was flabbergasted and I looked at them and I said, um, I'll never forget it. I said, you're aware I'm in prison, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> just, just so we're clear, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. So I- anyway, that's what they wanted to do. And so she had, uh, she had the daughter, Gabriella was, is, was her name and is her name. And uh, they eventually, I guess, four or five months later brought her for a visit. 
and we had a picture made during the visit. So there am I, there I am in my prison jumpsuit. And I'm, you know, I don't, I don't have any kids of my own. And I, I didn't know how to, <laughs> I'm holding this kid under her arms, like a pack, like a sack of potatoes, just kind of, <laughs> kind of like that for this picture. I don't know what I'm doing. And, um, but, but you know, your life changes but it's at, a, at this point. It was incredible because you weren't released until years later. Right. I mean, from that yeah, I had when I met them, I still had twelve years to go. Wow. And, I mean that's like quite a long way to go. <laughs> which is why I almost broke everything off. Like six months later, I really f- was feeling attached. And I thought, they're not gonna do this for twelve more years, you know. Yeah. And let's just her. let's just cut the cord now. Yeah. It'll be painful, but not as painful as it'll be a year from now or two years. Right, from now. right, right. Um right. but I didn't do that and I'm very glad. And and they continued coming for 12 more years. Wow. So, Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. When did you start to trust that this was a real friendship? It was, um, it took over a year. It took over a year. I was still very resistant. I didn't let them know this, but I was still yeah. very resistant. Yeah. I wanted to kind of keep my actual attachment sort of tamped down so that if. You're if, guarding, if, guarding it, your heart, as they say. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But at a certain point, I just had, I thought, you know, if I'm honest, I've just got to admit that this is what it is and um, I can't keep pretending. So amazing. It's incredible. And I, it's so, so I I think there are probably some endowed women who are listening, who feel called to, and probably already are involved in, in prison ministry. Do you see them in terms of like, I don't know, are endowed would endow studies be possible in prison? I mean, do they allow that? I, I mean, they 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 can. Uh, now, my ex- obviously, I'm a guy, so I can't right. speak to what uh, female inmates you know to, to their experience. But uh, I imagine in that sense, it's not any different from it than it is for men. And I w- definitely would encourage endow women to, if, if they have an interest and they feel called to this, um, yeah. To contact their local jails or prisons in the area, and ask what are the requirements, what what is allowed, what is not allowed, and because everything is different now with COVID, so um, I you know, I don't really know, right. but we, we would have um, studies sent in and uh, that sort of thing. If you're Catholic, particularly in a Southern state, you're the redheaded stepchildren. No one care. You know, you're not being um, right. Your interests are not being catered to at all. So. Right there's a huge need for, um, for Catholic volunteers and people just willing to write a letter. You don't have to get, you know, too involved if, if you don't feel comfortable with it, it's understandable, but there's a, just a, a huge need. Really. Amazing. Amazing. Well, what I, what I so appreciate about your story is just like the thread of like your, your, your confirmation, your connection to St. Maximilian, even though, you you know, after your conversion, it's not like you necessarily paid attention to him, but how he kind of like took care of you in prison, um, the consecration, all the Marian God wings, this like cultivation of friendship that, you know, was like, I mean, life changing really. And then your video that you didn't think would get made, me listening to it, being, you know, all the people that that your life has affected too. I mean, this is how the body of Christ works. So, um, yeah, with, yeah. with St. Maximilian, when I took him as my confirmation saint, because as a convert, I didn't have to be rebaptized <clears throat> because I'd been baptized when I was younger in Methodist church and that baptism was considered valid. Um, and uh, so I 
took St. Maximilian simply because I was so moved by his, his willingness to sacrifice himself for, for someone else. And it, I was not particularly struck by the fact, in fact, I don't even think I was even aware that he is a patron of, of prisoners, among other things, I drug addicts, that kind of thing. And I, I joke, I joke with people that, yeah, if I had known that, I would have, uh, you know, I picked Maximilian, St. Maximilian, then I go to prison. I, I probably should have uh, found, found the patron saint of, of lottery winners or something, you know, but no, but, but in fact, I've got right here at the risk of being too, uh, a, a oh, little, uh, a former employer made that for me, um, St. St. Maximilian. Um, but yeah, I feel very, very, very close to him. And if I could, just in terms of friendships and providence and how nothing is really, nothing is left to chance. It was maybe a year after I got out. I got out in 2014. So uh, I'm involved in the movement, in the CL movement, and they were having their spiritual exercises uh, in North Carolina at a retreat center in Hickory, North Carolina, which is sort of in the foothills of the mountains. So I had been in a, one of the prisons I'd been in was one town over. It's a town called Marion. And so I went over early and I drove around. I had never seen the prison from the outside, basically. And so I drove around the parking lot. And I was very, uh, it was just surreal. I thought I spent four years, four of my 18 years inside that prison. You know, and here I am driving around in the parking lot. Well, then I, I wanted to go to mass and I'm, I like the old mass. So I went to this website sitting there in my car, I got my phone out and I was seeing if there were any traditional Latin masses in the area. And there was one in Marion at the little tiny Catholic church there. Oh, wow. And you'll never guess who the pastor of that church is. I really won't. I really don't know. <laughs> Father Carl, the priest I took instruction from when I converted. Stop it. I, when I saw the name, um, I, I thought there's no way. So anyway, I went over to the church. Uh, the church was closed. I'd actually missed the mass. And um, they had a house behind the church, which wow. was the church office. So I walked up and rang the doorbell, and this um, this woman with these huge spectacles cracked open the door, and she said in this very loud whisper, are you here to see Father? <laughs> and uh, I, I said, yes. I said, I don't have an appointment. He's not expecting me, but right. if he's around, I, you know. So she went and got, she in, invited me in, and he came down the, the stairs, uh, and he's an old man now, and, you know, has oh, kind of a wow. halting step. Wow. gray hair. And, um, I said, look, there's no way for, uh, for me to sort of ease into this. So let me just tell you, I, I was in prison for 18 years Wow! and his response sort of surprised me. He didn't look shocked or scared, or he just said, I'm so sorry. Wow. And I said, no, no. I, I said, I said, the reason I'm here is that the thing that got me through prison was, was my Catholic faith. And you were instrumental in imparting that faith to me. Back in 1991. Wow. You just never know. You just never know. So we had a great little conversation. He was an old school priest. He wasn't going to get emotional or anything, but we were talking about what his life was like now. I was talking about He was crying inside. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As we all are listening. But that was, um, yeah, I cling to moments like that. Moments like that, you realize, you know, people can talk about randomness or, or it's not, it's not random. It's not. It's, there's, yeah, it's providence. And you don't even know what he was living in that time. I mean, I don't want to make up things, no. but I, sure. I imagine that, you know, and I, you know, my friend Rob always says this grace never works in one direction that you don't know that he needed 
to see you and hear that from you because ministry is hard and the priest is very hard. And then now we're praying for our priest every Friday. It's part of one of our things. And, and he probably needed to hear that from you because of just being encouraged and consoled and and the faith and the ministry. So I just, I just love that, that the Holy spirit orchestrated all that for you to, to talk to him and be reunited and thank him and for you to grace his life. So I love, I, I love me a good Godwink story. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's beautiful. I think before we say goodbye, which this has been such a beautiful conversation and, and everything I have to tell you, I picked, you know, every Halloween we do our, you know, my inner circle and I would do our all saints thing. Although I'm trying to grow this saint of the year thing. Um, and Jen Fulweiler created a saint generators, which has made it a whole lot easier. Not that I don't have my Jack lantern full of saint names that I, you know, anyway, but I had picked St. Maximilian Colby, October of 2018 and summer of 2019. I got to go to Poland and visit Auschwitz where he was murdered and everything. So I just, St. Max just loves to share his uh, orchestrations and Godwings with us, I think, because I just, um, who would have thought that the year that I chose St. Maximilian as my saint or he that chose me would, would be the year that I would be able to go, go see, go see where he, where he was murdered and all the concentration camps and everything. So, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of St. Max, if if maybe we can include um, this address in the, in the, the, the show notes, yeah. But I have a little, uh, like a little prison ministry of my own. I'm on the board of directors yeah. for Dismas Ministry, ministry, which is a national prison ministry. But I have my own little thing. It's uh, St. Saint, Saint and Colby Catholic Prison Ministry. Absolutely. And if you, if any of the, the people watching or listening, if you know someone who's in prison, I'm very happy to write people. It's, and I know from personal experience, frequently chaplains, non-Catholic chaplains, don't feel very incentivized to provide a Catholic Bible. They, they receive all sorts of donations of Protestant Bibles, but I'm very happy to send Bibles or Holy Cards or just write a letter uh, to try to accompany people through That's what beautiful. is yeah, well, definitely. a very difficult time. Is that, is that a thing, just writing letters to inmates? Is that something that is done? Yeah, you, you would be shocked at how, you know, you don't, send money. You can't help them legally, obviously, but just simply a letter because uh, mail call in prison is um, it's a very public thing. So the officer will walk in, he's got an armload of mail, everyone, all the, all the guys gather around and they just call, you know, like, okay, uh, Stancil, they hand you or, you know, wow. Riscala, and they, they hand you. And you had, I, I was very struck by this one. He was an older inmate. And neither one of this one particular day, neither one of us got mail. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I've been coming out here for 11 years. He said, I've never gotten a piece of mail. And oh, I said, you so heartbreaking. But then, but he, he had a smile. I said, well, you don't seem terribly broken up about it. He said, no, he said, cause there's always, he said, you know, every day I think today might be the day. And, um, I'm going to pray that he gets, a, he's gotten a letter by now. I don't know where. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what happens frequently is when you just very quickly when, when you when you get locked up, um, if you're if you're lucky, uh, family members right, you get a lot of mail right off the bat. If you're in the county jail or something, once you get sentenced, particularly if you have a very long sentence, the frequency of the letters starts to lessen, and eventually you just don't receive much of anything at all, because people assume you're being taken care of. You know, you're not. You know, you're not in danger. Yeah. Oh, so no. I'm very happy to, to write people or send the, you know, 
So if anybody was listening, and also I'm asking for myself, how do we go about writing? How do we go about writing people letters? You can you can contact chaplains at your local um, jail or prison and see if there are any uh, Catholic ministries already in the area doing that sort of thing. You can actually work through maybe another prison ministry. Um, but we can work through your ministry. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, and that's, that's typically how these things work, or through Dismiss Ministry or something. That um, Dismiss Ministry has materials as well that they send free of charge to uh, inmates, Bibles, and whatnot. But this tends to spread by word of mouth. Like, I oh, I know... I, I know someone that. who's in prison. Would you would you write to them um, yeah. every so often? So, oh, I love that. Okay, well, we'll have to link to all that. That would be awesome. What a great, what a great thing to do. I want to write someone a letter that hasn't got a letter. <laughs> you know, God, God loves you. You know. But I thought that 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 need. But he was very happy about it. Like he wasn't heartbroken. But he he recognized in himself, hey, today might be the day I'm going to walk out there. Um, wow, amazing. And I, wow. Okay. So many thoughts right now, but so we kind of have to wrap up, but we didn't actually get a, too much of a chance, Joshua, to talk about forgiveness and repentance and mercy. And if you wanted to say a few words on that in terms of coming from your experience of being in prison for 18 years, like, is there something that you would want to say to Christians and to Christians listening? Because I think moralism is a huge temptation. Yeah. And I love what you said about Giussani being a saint, because he always fundamentally understood that there's something greater than all of our sins, all of our crimes, all of our punishment, I mean, which all, all of us as sinners merit eternal punishment. And that's not a moralistic thing. That's like a right. true thing. So, but yeah, I would just, I would just stress to people, there's no contradiction in thinking that the, the inmate, whether it's me or whomever, deserves punishment for whatever they did. We all have to be held accountable, right. but there's no contradiction between that and wanting to see them reconciled to God, to the church, to society as a whole. Right. And I, it seems at times even Catholics fall into this trap of just sort of writing people off. I, I just just this morning on Twitter, uh, one of the hashtags I follow is um, it, it's a, a writing community. And this guy uh, said that he, he retweeted a photo that he tweeted yesterday. It was of him and his garden. He's a middle-aged guy and he's cutting flowers. And he said, um, I'm an ex-con. I'm in my garden cutting flowers and I write romance novels. Is that a problem? And in 24 hours, he lost 10% of his followers on Twitter because he announced that he had, you know, he's, he's an ex-con, he'd been to prison. And you find that attitude, I found that attitude, uh, even among Catholics, and I just think we should know better. It's one of our corporal works of mercy is visiting it's the so unforgiving. We're, we're, yeah. we're, we're in such, I've never lived in any other age but my own, but mm-hmm. this is a particularly unforgiving one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, so I would just encourage people to, to recognize the humanity that we, we never lose our humanity. We can act in, the, in an, an unhuman way, in an animalistic way, but we're not animals. And that's why we're so shocked when someone acts that way, because that's not, that's not what we are. It's not what um, we are, but, yeah. but everybody is capable of, you know, no one is above reproach and above. Uh, and I think Scott Hahn said this once in a talk I really liked. He's like, if there's a sin, in scripture that, uh, you know, you couldn't imagine yourself committing. Well, you just don't understand the sin well enough because (laughs) (laughs) without the mercy of God, I mean, we're all capable of all sorts of terrible things. And it is the Christianity. The essence of Christianity is that while we were, as scripture say, while we were yet still sinners, God 
extends his hand of friendship to us and holds us out. So yeah, I, that is Catholics definitely should know better. Hopefully, hopefully they do, you know, well, the idea of, of true freedom is the ability to say yes to Christ in any moment. And um, so I'm very, very struck by the example of St. Dismas, the, the good thief on the cross. Christ was dying, but he spoke yeah. to a thief. He spoke to a criminal and promised paradise to him. And the criminal recognized him as well. One criminal did not. The other criminal did. And we can have that same freedom in recognizing Christ in someone who is imprisoned. We can either say Yes, I recognize Christ in you, or we can say no. Amen. I love it. That's great. There's a really good article, um, actually, in uh, uh, Trace's magazine, which is the magazine of CL, that's called, I think, Something Greater. And it came out after the priest sex abuse scandal first came out, when that was first a new thing. And I loved it. I love that article so much. I wish I could find a link to it because absolutely everybody who commits a crime should be, you know, should, you know, pay the price and this and all, all of that. But on a spiritual level, um, if we're not praying for the rehabilitation, the repentance of ourselves firstly, and then our neighbor, right. In, 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 in a, in a Christian worldview, in a Christian desire and St. John Chrysostom said this, like we, we should, how cold it is to not care about the salvation of your neighbor and, is 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 a sin too great that um, we can't find God's love and mercy and forgiveness at the end of it to the one who's who's seeking His salvation? Yeah. So. Crime crime is relational. Um, it's not abstract, and everyone involved uh, comes away hurt and wounded in some way. And the victims, of you know, obviously um, have to have to be helped in finding healing yeah. and perpetrators of crimes need to be helped in, in understanding why they, they did it yeah. and that this is not, this can't be the only worthwhile fact about their life. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Joshua. This was a lovely conversation. And um, for those listening or watching, happy feast of St. Maximilian Colby. And I hope that uh, somebody writes a letter or gets involved in some way, especially those women who I know are called uh, to prison ministry in particular, feel called to that. And is there anything else you want to say before we say goodbye, Joshua? No, no, I, I've, I've, I've gabbed on enough, I think. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. If this episode was helpful for you, I would love it if you'd share it with your friends. I would also love to hear your comments and feedback, so please email me at simone.riscala at endowgroups.org or feel free to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. Remember, you are the heart of Endow.